Well, you know how, I don't know if you remember, we took a little break in August from 1 Corinthians. Um, but you remember that um, uh, at several points in the letter, Paul is quoting some saying that's being, you know, touted in Corinth. Um, and he's, uh, you know, sort of dismantling them. Well, I, I have a saying for you that I'm, I'm sure you've heard that uh, 20% of the people, you finish it, do 80% of the work. You've heard that, right? You, you've, you've probably heard that. You may have experienced that, right? You may have experienced that in, uh, I don't know, volunteering in a sports league where, you know, there's just these couple of parents that are doing all the, you know, bringing the Gatorades and things at the end of games uh, or, or helping the coaches or what have you. Um, you, you may have uh, experienced this at work, where there's this, uh, there, there's, there's this one little group of people that seem to get all the work done while, while seemingly everyone else is lazy and letting them do the work, uh, and perhaps you've even experienced it in church. Perhaps your feelings are justified, right? That, that's, that, that thinking about that saying as, as a reality in, uh, in, in some of the parts of your life, or perhaps... Perhaps you don't understand the role others are playing because you don't see the work that they do. That may be uh, a reality also. But what about the, uh, what about the other side? What if, what, have, do you ever feel like you're in the 80%? You ever feel like uh, you're in the 80% because you don't feel like you fit in or, or you don't have anything to offer? Would you, would you like to play an important part but don't think it's really possible because you're new or others seem to be doing everything that's needed? I've heard this before. I've, I've, I've talked to somebody that wanted to serve at church and they're like, it's a well-oiled machine. There's no place for me. I assure you, it's not a well-oiled machine and there is a place for you, but we'll get there. The beauty of being part of Christ's church is that everyone fits into the whole. Everyone. Every member of a local church fits into the whole. It's, it's God's design, and the Spirit empowers those He calls to play an indispensable role in the church. So if any of those issues that I've just raised strike a, strike a, you know, strike a, a thought in your mind, or you can relate to any of those things, uh, listen in, because God has much to tell us here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, it's 31 verses long. Um, I'm going to do it in two parts. So today we're just going to cover the first uh, 11 verses. So those are the verses I'm going to read for you this morning. Are you ready? Have you prepared your heart to hear the word of God? God speak to you? For this is his word, friends, so listen carefully. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. 
to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is the Word of God, friends. And the theme that I would put to you, that, that the sentence, the idea of these verses, yea, the entire chapter is this. Are you listening? This is the theme I want to convince you of. The Spirit masterfully pieces together gifted people into a picture of love. I'm going to give it to you again in case you zoned out. The Spirit masterfully pieces together gifted people into a picture of love. With this theme in mind, we can think of the church as a puzzle that the Holy Spirit fashions and fits together by the varying special people He creates and gives to one another. Just as a puzzle displays something beautiful when it's complete, so the people of God display the beauty of the gospel when they are fashioned together into a unified whole. At first, when the pieces are dumped onto a a counter or a tabletop, when you're you're going to put a puzzle together, right? When you dump it all out, it's pretty ugly, isn't it? I mean, it's sort of chaotic and jumble of shapes and colors, and some are upside down, and and some are spilling off the table. And, And they appear at first not to have anything to do with each other. But when they are turned the right way and seen how each is necessary and needs to be connected together, um, they form something more significant, don't they? They they, they form something orderly, something wonderful as a result. I visited Larry and Margie, and they have their favorite pictures glued together and on the wall, don't you? The ones that, 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 are, that are the best ones, the prettiest ones. And, and, and this, so we come back to this theme then thinking about the church as a puzzle, if you will, and all of you are the pieces in the box. The Spirit masterfully pieces together gifted people into a picture of love. That's what this chapter is all about. We, we see this in today's text by looking to how Paul answers three different questions, likening the local church to a puzzle. We're only going to get to those first two questions today. We're going to save the third question for next week, Lord willing. Doing so, looking at these three questions that I'm about to present to you, provides the foundation from which we can understand how spiritual gifts are to function in the body of Christ. I mean, if you've been paying attention at all, you've been waiting for these chapters, right? This is the hard part of 1 Corinthians. I mean, you heard some of those gifts I I read, right? speaking in tongues and miraculous healings and, and the rest, right? So the point is then, if we're going to see how the Spirit pieces gifted people together to form a, a beautiful picture, right, we're going to have to ask some, some basic questions so that we can f- have this foundation from which to look at the gifts even as we proceed into the more difficult chapters like, for instance, chapter 14 
Here's the, here's the questions we're going we're gonna to seek to answer in the text today. First one's this. Who put the puzzle box together? Who put the box together in the first place? Secondly, what kind of pieces are in the box? Those are the two we're going to answer today. And then finally, next week, how do the pieces fit together? Okay, so let's take them one at a time. Let's begin by considering how a church comes together in the first place. How did the Corinthian church come about? Paul's writing this letter to this church. How did that church come into being? How, how did the churches that Ben Lair and Jorge Vasquez and Tyler St. Clair plant, how did they come into existence? What about, what about our own church? Who puts the puzzle box together, if you will? Well, that question is answered in the first three verses of our text, so let's look there. First, be reminded of the second half of verse 3 there. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Do you see it there? Get your Bible open. You're looking at it? Now, it doesn't say, it, it, that verse doesn't explicitly answer my question, who formed the church? But the answer is there. The Holy Spirit brings people into the church. The Holy Spirit brings people into the church. He puts them in the puzzle box. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit changes men who used to follow false gods, which might have even included themselves, worshiping themselves. He takes men who used to follow false gods, he takes them and transforms them from the inside out. He saves them from their sin and its stranglehold on their thinking and, and what they worship and even the course of their lives. Look at the, how the chapter begins here. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed, end of verse 1, now verse 2. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however, however it is that you were led. And, and then he goes on to say, but now, but now there's people that call on Jesus as Lord, but they only do it in the Spirit. They only do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I would put to you that the Spirit of God changes people's lives, saves them, and puts them within a local church. Those he saves are brought under the lordship of Christ. They say Jesus is Lord. They do this because the Spirit opens their eyes to see Christ for who he is. That the Spirit opens their eyes to understand that Christ is glorious, the only hope they have to be forgiven, the only one that truly has their best in mind because He died for them to make that best possible. To be part of the church, then, is to confess that Jesus is Lord. Well, what does it mean to make such a profession? What does it mean for somebody in the church to say, Jesus is Lord? It means that they recognize that they are not themselves the master of their lives. They are not themselves the ruler of their destiny. They are not one who determines their purpose or mission in this world. They're not even the one that gives themselves anything with which to work towards a mission. To say that Jesus is your Lord is to repent of the rebellion that all of us start off in this life living in. 
We all start out denying God's existence and His claims over us. We all enter this life thinking that we are here to live for ourselves ever since the fall, ever since the curse. Friend, I would just ask you, is Jesus the Lord of your life? Think about what that means. To be in the church, really, I mean, there's a lot of people sitting in a church that aren't really in the church, right? To be, but to be truly in the church is to confess that Jesus is your Lord. He's the master of your life. He's the only one that, that could get success and beauty and joy and forgiveness for you. Do you profess that Jesus is Lord? Who do you see as worthy to profess your allegiance to? It's important questions to deal with. As for the Christians in Corinth, Paul did not want them to be uninformed, verse 1, he, he says, right? He didn't want them to be uninformed about who they used to be and who they are now. They used to be led astray to worship idols, verse 2, but they had been rescued. There had been this flashpoint, this transformational event when the Spirit freed them to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, that's what he says about them at the start of the letter. He says he, he writes to the church who is at Corinth that call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit had done that in them, brought them into the church. This letter, as, as made plain uh, at many points, says that they had failed to live as the new spiritual people Christ had called them to be. So while they were in Christ, they were failing in many regards. In fact, Chloe and perhaps others wrote letters to Paul saying, hey, here's all the trouble in Corinth. Can you address some of them? And this idea of spiritual gifts was one of the key problems. As the coming chapters will make ever more plain, the Corinthians had fallen back into thinking that their place in the church had something to do with their own worth rather uh, than the worth of Christ. They started to trust in things like their spiritual giftings and started to make judgments about how important they were. How do people come into the church? How do they get in the puzzle box? The Spirit changes them and enables them to confess Jesus as Lord. Their confession, in fact, demonstrates that they have been brought into the people of God. That's why when people join the church here, we have them come up and share their testimony of how they came to that point in their life when they professed that Jesus was their Lord. It's evidence that there's been a spiritual transformation in their life. Their confession demonstrates that they're part of the church. But there's something else. The Holy Spirit also gives spiritual gifts to those he brings in the church. He, he grants spiritual talents, gifts, to the people that he's changed to profess Jesus as their master. Now they get these, these gifts with which they can serve him. It's yet another evidence that someone's truly a Christian, that, that the Spirit of God has given them spiritual gifts. Don't forget how the, the chapter begins, now concerning spiritual gifts. The whole chapter is about it. 
But before getting into the gifts themselves, Paul grounds us in the reality that spiritual gifts are given to those who submit their lives to Christ and no one else. The existence and use of spiritual gifts are evidence that people follow Jesus. And a proper view of of where those gifts come from, not to mention how those gifts are to be employed, stem from seeing Christ as Lord of the church and Lord of the individuals who are made part of that church. No discussion of spiritual gifts is profitable without starting at this point. That Christ is Lord of the church. His Spirit brings people in, gives them the gifts, and they're not to just use them any old way. They're not to view these gifts in in any old way, but rather to, to employ them in service of their new master. That's the beginning point of talking about spiritual gifts. Those who believe their gifts reveal their own greatness deny the lordship and sovereign reign of Christ. The Corinthians had fallen into this sinful trap, and and all of us do it as well, friends. Don't don't make this a history lesson where we're just sort of looking at some ancient people and shaking our heads and going, those Corinthians. We make these errors too, so we need to lean in at this point. We need to lean in at this point. We can forget the Spirit masterfully pieces together gifted people into a picture of love. We can make our own picture where maybe we're the only piece to the puzzle. We can forget that the puzzle box of the church was made under the kingly rule of Christ. We can forget that our God is not mute also. He's a God who speaks words of ancient wisdom and massive power, words that transform a person's entire being and lead them to say, Jesus is my king, and I'll use all of my abilities to serve him. We need to ever have that in front of us, but we can forget. And so be reminded, there is no place, friends. There's no place for self-worship as you contemplate how you fit into this church. Stop thinking so much about yourself. Think about the Lord. Think about Jesus as your Lord and how His Spirit has brought you into the church and given those gifts to you. Gifts to be used to serve Him. Not so that you can find a, a special place of, of accolade, some, some sort of you know, plan for self-worship. We all do that. We all do that. But we're a part of the church because of the Spirit's transforming grace. So let's be reminded of that. Let's humble ourselves. You ever do that? You ever slip into that place where you're judging yourself pretty you know, highly because of, of your giftings? We all do that from time to time. We might not do it in the way that you're initially thinking, Right? I mean, it's easy to use me as an example, right? Because everybody's looking at me right now, right? And, and, and so I can come up to uh, the pulpit with this, you know, sort of grandiose idea of how great I am, right? But we all do it in different ways. So again, let's not just look at other people. Let's look inwardly. Are, are there, is there ever one of those times where you are employing your gift in some way where you're like sort of, you know, judging other people that aren't doing what you're doing right now? 
Is it just me? Am I the only one in the room that does this sort of thing? need to be thinking about this, thinking about how this text is specifically speaking to your need. Remember who called you into the church and gave you all the gifts you have, right? Be reminded. You're not better than anyone else. We're, we're all even. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. If you want to ever just sort of check your judgment of yourself, just ask yourself, what did God think of you at the cross? So utterly worthless, so sinfully rebellious, so unfit for any good purpose that he had to kill his son to fix you. Right? Let's be humble today. Let's be reminded that, that Jesus is our Lord. The church is his. He bought it with his own blood. And his spirit is the one who brings us into it and gives us gifts so that we might use to benefit others and glorify Jesus while we're in that church. The Spirit masterfully pieces together gifted people into a picture of love. So, as I've said, humble yourselves today and see Christ once again as Lord of your life. Especially as we launch into the truth about the gifts that are found in the church. Because we're moving that direction now. So we consider who put the puzzle box of the church together. The Spirit of Christ did. Let us now open the box, dump the pieces, as it were, onto the table, and ask the question, um, what kind of pieces, what kind of people, what kind of gifts are represented by the people in the church? And we see that answer in verses 4 through 11. But look at those first three verses again, verses 4 through 6 as we start. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them in everyone. Just as a puzzle box is full of pieces of all different shapes, right? I mean, with, with all the little nubs sticking out, none of them exactly match. And, and, and the other ones have little you know, concave parts where the nubs of others fit in. And, and so it is with the people of the local church. I mean, we could go on with this metaphor, right? The, the pieces have different patterns and colors and edges and all the rest. So, so the church is like that, made up, of, made up of uniquely gifted spiritual people. There are a variety of gifts, the text says, and they are represented among the many people that make up every church. But remember I said when you dump out the box, it looks a little chaotic, doesn't it? I mean, even when you flip them all over so that the right sides are up. It's a mess, right? I mean, how many puzzles did we put together with mom over at the rehab center, right? Um, who else? Was, I, Larry and Margie put puzzles together. There's a couple other people I think I was talking about putting puzzles together. But it's a mess when you, when you, when you put those pieces on, on the table or the counter or whatever. But while they appear random and chaotic, right, chaotically different even, the Spirit gives gifts that are purposefully diverse in the church. So if you think of yourself as a puzzle piece in this mess that it appears to be at first, right, the Spirit does that diversity in the church, gives those different kinds of gifts in the church. He does so purposefully. I mean, there are wildly different gifts in the church. 
I mean, Tim and I were talking a little bit about last night on the phone. Tim's got the ability, and, and Nathan and other guys, you know, Brian Lau, other guys have the ability to do things that I couldn't even, I wouldn't even know where to start. And so it is as we go sort of, you know, raise your hand if you know how to put a uh, quilt together. Nobody? Okay, all right. I knew there was a couple in here, right? Wouldn't know where to begin, right? This, this is the point that I'm trying to drive home. That, that the, the, the gifts in the church are wildly different. They're beautifully distinct abilities that God himself has distributed among those he saves. And all of them are deliberately given according to God's good purposes. No two of us are alike, whether in Corinth or Commerce, Laodicea or Little Rock. I mean, consider a few people in our own number. One has the impulse to send cards of encouragement in the mail, like Sharon. One works hard at his musical abilities in order to contribute to the worship of the saints, like Ryan. One loves to honor God by making his church beautiful, like Kelly and Carolyn. One sees opportunities to help and delights in jumping in like Tim. One teaches, another counsels, another plans events, another maintains a boiler or tends the flower beds or works in the nursery, and on and on we could go. But our text says that there are more than the gifts themselves that differ, like I've been trying to demonstrate. Look at how verses 4 through 6 say more than that. Paul says there are a variety of gifts, yes, but then he goes on to say there are a variety of services and a variety of activities. Gifts are employed in different ways, through varying acts of service or work in the community at different points in time, to meet different kinds of needs. You might be tempted that, to, to, to believe there's no rhyme or reason for the gifts that are represented in a local church. Like, it's just happenstance. But not unlike the maker of a puzzle, the Spirit's plan is to make the people of local churches into a picture of His perfect love. By no means random. By no means in some disorderly fashion. Notice the Spirit is in perfect unity with the Father and Son in those verses. Did you catch that? In verses 4 through 6, there we see the triune blessing of gifts being given to the church and the plans for their use. The Spirit gives different kinds of gifts. The Lord gives different kinds of service. The, the God the Father gives different kinds of activities for those gifts to be employed while the gifts and how and when they will be used vary, there is unity in loving purpose. They are given by the Spirit and the Lord Jesus and the Father, and they are to be employed according to God's divine plan to build up the church, to bring glory to our triune God. Look specifically at the wording used to describe how those gifts are to be exercised. Look at verse 6. They, there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. It's not just the giving of the gifts themselves, but there is the power that, that, is, that is lent from God to, for, in the service of those, in the use of those gifts. 
Every single person in the church is given power from God to engage the talents the Spirit has given them. Praise God. In other words, divine gifts are accompanied by divine power. When we work, God works. Be encouraged, friends. You are massively valued in God's economy, and you are a unique treasure in the church because you, you have gifts that are God's in the first place, and when you use those gifts, it's His power to do it. He gets all the glory. There's no place for boasting here. And, and what is the end of God working in you while you serve others with your gifts? Look at verse 7 there. It's for the common good. It's for the common good. It is the goodness of God at work throughout the body when any of us use, the, use a gift that He has given for His purposes. Isn't that extraordinary? Are, are you starting to, to see how significant you are in God's church? Not because of anything in you, but because of everything the Spirit of God has done in you and for you. The early church, like all the churches down through history, received all different kinds of gifts. Paul lists a lot of them here in verses 8 through 10. Now, we're not going to spend the time that would be necessary to dissect each one of those gifts this morning. But suffice it to say that the Spirit has always, in every age, masterfully fit together spiritual people with this vast array of spiritual gifts into a picture of love. No different in Corinth. Much debate surrounds some of the gifts listed here, I'm not going to lie. But allow me to try to handle some of them here. The first two listed, the utterance of wisdom and the utterance of knowledge, some would like you to believe that that is just sort of like a message from God that you now speak. I don't believe that's what's going on in those first two gifts. I think they, these are likely teaching gifts, so fundamental to the mission of the church. When we build disciples, when we when we teach and preach in God's church, surely we're imparting knowledge and wisdom. And there's wild overlap between the two. Of course, those gifts continue down to this day as the Spirit gives the gifts of understanding the Scriptures and the ability to convey their meaning to the church and to, and to help build the church up in love. The remaining gifts are those that are likely in that category of miraculous gifts that the Spirit empowered the church to use to further the gospel in the early days of the apostles. Those gifts, I'm convinced, are no longer given to the church. Not everyone agrees. I think a, I think a study of the passage, though, yields this conclusion. It's not that no one has faith today. Faith is listed as one of the lists, uh, one of the gifts, rather. It's not that no one has faith today or no one is healed of illnesses today by God's power. But in Corinth, the Spirit had given individual Christians the gift to do things like speak in a language they had never learned or even interpret the speaking of that other language, and I've never learned that language, or healing somebody of blindness or some illness or, or even hearing actually a, a word of prophecy from God 
that, that is to be shared with the people. These are the sort of examples of these miraculous gifts that I, I believe are no longer given to the church today. But they were critical in the age of the apostles and, and those early churches to, to get the gospel out there and to affirm its power before the scriptures were, were, were finished. Regardless of what amazing gift a, a particular Corinthian Christian had received, they were not to make much of themselves, but of Jesus their Lord. Remember where this passage starts. The gift was to serve the master for the good of his church and the advancement of his mission. And this was the problem. Many Corinthians weren't doing that. The Spirit had given those gifts. The Lord Jesus had given opportunities to serve with those gifts. And God the Father had, had created opportunities for activities that would involve the use of those gifts. There was to be no room for boasting, but only wonderful submission to Christ in exercising any particular gift, no matter how spectacular it was. But our sin wants to make much of ourselves, doesn't it? And how easy it would be to make much of myself if I had one of these miraculous gifts. I mean, imagine being able to go up to a refugee from another part of the world and immediately start to speak fluently in their language when you never have even looked a word in that language before. Imagine being able to touch someone on the hand to rid them of cancer. Imagine being able to reveal a message that God shared with only you, to your family or your church. I mean, the pressure would just be crazy. Paul had to deal with this tendency himself. It's, uh, we don't get a lot of the detail, but it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It starts in around verse 3. I'm not going to read the whole passage. I'm just going to give you a few little excerpts to, to, to show you the point. Paul says, I know this man, he's talking about himself here, I know this man who was caught up into paradise, and, and, he, and he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter, to keep me from being too elated. By the surpassing grace, greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. We don't know exactly what this is but some kind of illness or malady or something was given to him. It says, to keep me from being too elated. To keep him grounded. You're just a man. You were given a gift to, 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 to see all these revelations. But you serve the Lord of the church. Be reminded. And if Paul and the first century Christians had to grapple with the temptation to boast, we certainly do also. For those who preach and teach, it's a temptation to think we're the only ones that really get God's Word. For those who organize ULBC Kids or go on mission trips or are gifted to pray or help others, all of us can think those impulses to serve or, 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 or particular talents to be faithful in the church originate in ourselves. Why doesn't everybody just do what I'm doing? But they are gifts of the Spirit that evidence that Jesus is our Lord, our King. So be wary of the trap, friends. And if you're in that trap right now, perhaps you are. 
Perhaps you've just been judging other people against your measurement. Cry out in repentance and seek the Spirit's help. He's kind. Our God's powerful. He's desirous to help us to make much of Jesus in our talents as we serve him in the church. And if you're afraid to engage in the work of the ministry for fear you'll fail, maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum. If you're afraid to engage, you just think you don't have anything to offer or you'll mess it up if you try. Remember that the Spirit gives all different kinds of gifts, friends. And all who call on the name of the Lord are given gifts, every single one of them. Look at verse 7 there. To each, see how it starts? To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Every single one, every person in God's church has been given a display, a, a, a manifestation of the Spirit in gifts. There are no pieces in the puzzle box without function. All have been made useful by the Spirit. He masterfully pieces together gifted people into a picture of love. And each of us is part of that picture. In fact, it's evidence of genuine faith. God has, you cannot find a picture of a Christian in God's church that's not doing anything that's not serving with a gift that he's given. There is a place for you in the great and glorious work of the church, brothers and sisters. In Paul's letter to Titus, the one who was tasked with fixing all the badly broken churches on the island of Crete, Paul wrote to Titus and he spoke of this very thing. He started off in chapter 1, verse 16, by judging those that were outside the church, that were outside of Christ. And this is how he described them. They are unfit for any good work. Outside the church, you don't have it. You're you're useless, right? But then he went further. He he wrote of those who received the grace of God. He, He wrote of those who who trusted Christ, those who had, by the Spirit's power, been put in the puzzle box, if you will. He wrote of Christians this way. Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from our lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, you know the rest of it, who are zealous for good works. They're not only capable, but zealous. They're desirous. I mean, mature Christians are desirous to use their spirit, their spiritual gifts for the good of the church. They're zealous to do it because it magnifies the name of Jesus Christ, their King. The Spirit masterfully pieces together gifted people into a picture of love. The Spirit Himself brings people into the puzzle box of the church. Is the Spirit calling you to put faith in Jesus today? Maybe you're outside the church today. Maybe you're literally inside the building, but you're not, you're not inside the faith yet. Everybody listening now, focus in here. Is the Spirit of Christ calling you to trust Christ today? It's the only way to life. It's the only way to have your sins forgiven. It's the only way to be part of the great work of God. It brings great joy great relief. Maybe God the Spirit's calling you to believe in Jesus today. If so, hear that call. Turn from your sins and believe. 
you know, after the Lord was raised from the dead and ascended to heaven. He secured salvation for all who would believe and then climbed up on His throne. His work of love wasn't finished yet. He promised to send the Spirit to empower His people to live for Him with the unique abilities and service opportunities that He would set before them. And He fulfilled that promise. God's love to us in Christ, fueled with the Spirit's gifts, this is the picture of love that He's building the church into. If you've hidden yourself in Christ, if you're already a Christian, you've already uh, confessed Him as your King, your Master, then you are one of those that the Spirit is crafting into this glorious picture of love that is the church. So what is the Spirit calling you to do today, Christian, with respect to your gifts? What is the Spirit of God calling you to do to contribute in the church for the good of the church, and also, by the way, to glorify Jesus, whose Spirit gave you those gifts. Think about these things, friends. How, how, is, the, how, is, how is God calling you to humble yourself and to respond in light of these words from this text? God speaking to His people. Take a, just a moment of quiet reflection on the Word, and then we'll close with a benediction. But ask yourself some of these questions.